We've been looking at the book of James. James is a book of wisdom. It's been compared to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. And the idea with James, as in Proverbs, as in the other wisdom literature, is that there's two ways to live your life. There's God's way and there's the world's way. And we've been seeing that in the book of James. Some of the verbiage that comes through or, or the phrases is, is wisdom from above versus wisdom from below. We're going to talk about that today. We've seen back in chapter 1 that every good gift comes from the Father above. Okay? From above. That is just verbiage. It's a phrase that means from God in heaven. Okay? So we're talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about the source of wisdom and how you live your life. James has shown us so far that we need to not be uh, double-minded. We need to be wholly committed to God and his ways. And when we're wholly committed to God and his ways, if you lack wisdom, you simply need to ask, and he will give it. But you can't be double-minded. You can't be going back and forth when you ask. You have to fully believe and trust. And we often throw this phrase out that even the demons believe, um, but in context, what that's talking about is, yeah, they believe that God exists, but they don't surrender to him. They don't submit to him. They don't follow him in his ways. James is saying you have to surrender and submit to God in his ways, follow his ways, if you're going to be asking him to give you wisdom. So we've been working through the book, and we're up to chapter 3, verse 13, um, or verse 18, actually, through chapter 4, verse 10. This is actually the climax of the book. This is the main thrust. This is the main theme of the book. Everything else has been building up to it or will taper off from it. It all points to this middle section, which is about these two ways of wisdom and how you're living your life. We talk about the image of the healthy disciple, and the idea is that you and I are created to become conformed to the image of Christ. Okay, And the healthy disciple is the idea that your head and your heart and your feet and your hands are all in unison, and they're carrying out the great commission and the great commandment love god love your neighbor and tell the whole world that's what we're supposed to be doing so every one of us has areas that we need to work on maybe you don't spend any time in the word so you need to get in the word that's both a little bit of a heart problem and it's a head problem you don't learn the word so you don't have the knowledge of what god wants you to do okay maybe you have a lot of head knowledge but uh, you just don't care about people well some of the stuff you've been reading hasn't sunk in and you need a little repentance and heart surgery so that you'll have that compassion that Jesus had when he looked on the people. He didn't want to just throw them all over the cliff. He looked at the people that were burdened and said, these leaders, he was upset at the leaders. He said, these leaders have burdened them and overtaxed them and have just led them astray and are not shepherding them. And Jesus had compassion on them. They needed a new shepherd, which is him. And so as we get to our portion of James today, I want you to think about where you are as a disciple of Christ. Have you started that journey? Have you committed your life? Are, are, you, out of, are you out of balance? Is, is there an area of your life that needs to be uh, corrected or, or adjusted? And that's what James wants to do. So practice wisdom from above. That's what James tells us today. We need to practice wisdom from above. The idea of wisdom, true wisdom can be misunderstood just like anything else. In fact, one of the temptations that we see in the book of James, if you connect this with the earlier portion of James chapter 3, that he talks about teachers needing to watch their, their tongues, is that the idea of wisdom can be a deception as well, especially for teachers. 
teachers can think that they have it, that they have the understanding, that they have wisdom. They can become uh, braggadocious. And when that happens, James is going to teach us, you're mistaken. You don't actually have wisdom from above. You have another type of wisdom, which is a serious matter. The leaders of this world, politicians, philosophers, preachers, teachers, they're all guilty of often twisting and adjusting wisdom to mean what they want. But the true wisdom of God doesn't change, and it comes from God. And so as believers, we need to delve in to find out what is this true wisdom. The truth of the matter is, if we were to look at what is uh, potentially the, the biggest problem that you and I face, it's, it's related to how we think. And how we think is heavily corrupted by the world in which we live. Because we are surrounded by a world that does not live according to God's ways. So how do you live God's wisdom in the midst of a world that does not? You're, you're going to be counter to them. You're, you're going to be counterculture. You're not going to be in step with them. If you're in step with the rest of the world, then there's a problem. Because God's kingdom is coming to set up a new system, and it is not in line with this world system. So you've got to ask yourself whether or not you really understand what wisdom is, wisdom from above, and what you are doing, what you're practicing in your own life. We need the kind of wisdom that comes from above. The wisdom from above, in James chapter 3, verse 13, he says this. He says, Who is wise and has understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. So James starts out in verse 13 of chapter 3, and he says this wisdom that we're talking about, this wisdom that comes from above that you are supposed to practice. By practice, I simply mean live it out. Do it. Work at it. This is what should be evident in your life. If I look at your life, or if God looks at my life, he should see me living in a way that lines up with his ways. Because I claim the name of Christ. So if you claim Christ, if you're a Christian, okay, then looking at your life, it should line up with the ways of God. You say, well, how, how do I know what that is, Kevin? What are the ways of God? Well, we find the ways of God in Scripture, and we'll unpack a little bit of that today. And so when James opens this up in chapter 3, verse 13, he's talking about the wise and the understanding. The wise and the understanding. How can we know whether someone is truly wise? Is it their IQ? Is it how much information that they can bring to bear in any given situation? James offers an unexpected alternative that challenges our understanding of wisdom from a biblical standpoint. Just as faith without works is dead, we found that in chapter 2, verse 26, so is wisdom that is not humbly put into practice. So if we say we're wise, but we're not practicing it, we're not living it out in the way that we're going to see here today, then in reality, you have dead wisdom or Really, you don't have the wisdom from above. Does that all make sense with you? So you see in James that he sets up these contrasts, okay? Just as faith without works was dead, now we've got a similar situation with wisdom. What does it mean to have this understanding? Basically, James is saying that this has to come from God, and it shows itself in a gentle aspect in your own life. What, what James wants you to do is realize that all through Scripture— Okay, think back to Moses, okay? Back in, in the first books of the Bible, Moses is a man that, that God chose to do an incredible task, to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And how is he going to do this? Well, if you look at Moses' life, some would argue that at first Moses tried to do that on his own. He was going to take out the Egyptian 
soldiers, if you will, with his own fist. But that led to him having to flee. He spent 40 years outside the area. God calls him back. And this time, after all this time, it's going to be done God's way. It's not going to be Moses' way. Moses isn't going to take up his fist to strike them out. No, God's going to show by his own power. God's going to show the Egyptians okay, that there is no power but his, that all their gods are fake, that he's the one that controls everything. And later we read that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Now, if you look at the end of verse 13 in, in James 3, he said that this comes with humbleness or gentleness. So all the way back through the Old Testament, we see that Moses was a man that was known for this. In Deuteronomy, we find that when Moses was wondering how he could bear the burden of leading the people, he decided to issue the following command. He said, assign for yourselves wise and discerning and prudent people from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your leaders. That's in Deuteronomy 1.13. This is the same phrase that we see here about the wise and the understanding that James is saying that we need to be. The response of the people was to do just that, and such wise and understanding men were appointed in 1.15 of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 4.6, Israel was told that if they kept God's statutes, his laws, they would be a wise and understanding people, the exact same pair of words that we see here in James. And so we see that this is something that is consistent throughout Scripture. Daniel was referred to by the same two adjectives in Daniel 1.4 and 5.11. And so whether we're talking about Moses, whether you're talking about the, the people that Moses was leading, whether we're talking about uh, Daniel or here James, we see that this idea of being wise and understanding, having wisdom from above, is something that we see throughout Scripture. It's not something just new or found in the New Testament. Good conduct in a good way of life um, is what this is dealing with. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 1.13, and then multiple times in, in Peter's epistles, 1st and 2nd Peter, he talks about your whole way of life should be in this aspect and of good conduct that when people look at it, what they see is Christ in you. That was Paul's goal. That was Peter's goal. That's James' goal for you this morning. Not only was Moses said to be gentle or meek, David in Psalm 132 verse 1 was also said to be the same. The godly are said to be meek and gentle in Psalm 37 verse 11. And in Zechariah 9 9, the Messiah was prophesied to be that. We've, we go over to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 11 verse 29, and we find that Jesus was meek and mild as the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 had indicated he would be. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, if Jesus is our Lord and Savior and King, and we are his servants, remember James 1.1, James had said that he is the slave or bondservant of Jesus Christ. And so if that's the servant that we are to be, and he is our master, and he is humble and gentle, what are we supposed to be? Humble and gentle. And I really want you to cling to that idea, because as we unpack the rest of this this morning, it is going to be very much connected to that, I, that idea. Do you want to know if wisdom comes from above or from below? Look at whether or not there's an aspect of gentleness, mildness, meekness involved. If there is not, it's not coming from above. And we'll see that unpacked in just a minute. 
Because the next thing is wisdom from below. And verses 14 through 16, James says, but, which, you know, that's the contrast, right? So in, in contrast to what I just said about this wisdom from above, this meek and mild and gentle, but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. James immediately contrasts what he had just said about wisdom from above with this wisdom from below. Bitter envy, selfish ambition, bragging and denying the truth. How is all this connected? When you have a leader, when you have somebody who thinks that they are wise and they begin to talk about all the things they've accomplished, look at how wise I am. I've done this. I've done that. Immediately, you have a red flag because the, the wise person from wisdom from God, all right, are they a braggart? No, they're not. So immediately we realize that somebody who's bragging about what they've done is demonstrating not wisdom from above, but wisdom from below. They're demonstrating earthly wisdom. They're, they're propping themselves up. They're building themselves up. And James says, this is not the type of wisdom that we're talking about. And so what was going on in the, the early church is the same thing that we have going on in our world today. You have leaders who are bragging about what they've been doing or, or how awesome they are or this or that. Or you have other people that are bragging about them for them. Same thing. James is saying, this is not the wisdom from above. We need meekness and gentleness. This boasting, this exalting of self over others is a denial of the truth. You're actually suppressing the truth. So here we have uh, several things from James coming into play. You have temptation coming into play that we've already learned about. Temptation comes from where? Our evil desires, okay, that are out of control. So you need to learn to control them, right? So your desires get out of control, and when desires get out of control, it leads to what? Sin, which leads to death. death. And so here we have desires out of control, okay? And this temptation is also deceiving. And so in this deception, they're, they're following the wisdom of the world and don't even realize it because they're deceived. And in the, the consequence of doing that or in the path of doing that, they are also suppressing the truth. Which, if you know the scriptures, when I say suppress the truth, you should immediately think of Romans chapter 1. And we're not going to go there, but if you want to know a whole list of things that happens when you suppress the truth and why our culture is the way it is, read Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. And you follow that through, and it ends in Romans chapter 3, and it says that everybody is under the curse of the law. Everybody. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no exception. So why are we the way we are? Because... Without God's truth, without his revelation, people cast off restraint. They go amok. <coughs> we need the revelation of God. We need the revelation of God, but we have to respond properly to it, as we've seen in previous weeks as well. This earthly and evil wisdom that James talks about, instead of viewing wisdom as a certain type of knowledge, James contrasts two different sources of wisdom based on the results that they bring about. In other words, it's what's inside that counts. We've seen this numerous times. We've seen this in the life of Jesus and the Gospels. We've seen this, that what, what comes from the inside comes out, desires, your temptations. If you don't control them from the inside, they will birth very ungodly things in contrast to God who births new life. Figuratively speaking, wisdom from above can be 
clearly differentiated from earthly wisdom by looking at what pours forth from it. So when you look at your life, when you're looking at other people's lives, what is the fruit? Because it comes from the root. And so what comes out of your life? Is it all of these evil things, this selfish ambition, this jealousy, this bitterness, self-fulfillment, self-interest? Those are things that, to be blunt, we're taught to pursue from a young age. We're, we're taught that you should do whatever is necessary to succeed. Get up that ladder. If you've got to step on a few people to get there, well, I mean, that's okay. James says, that's what kind of wisdom? Yeah, that's earthly evil wisdom from below. That is not wisdom from above. That is not the way that God works. Jesus, in multiple different scenarios and, and uh, parables that he told, talked about humbling yourself and he will exalt you. He talked about taking the lowest seat at the table and then maybe you'll be asked to come up and take the highest seat. But don't take the highest seat because you may be embarrassed in front of everybody but when, you are, when you are kicked down to the lowest seat. If you want to be exalted, you must first humble yourself or be humiliated. Philippians chapter 2 is a key passage on that. Many of you know of it in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. That is a passage that talks about Jesus humbled himself. He took on the form of a man. He did not think being equal with God something to be held on to, but was willing in his incarnation to take on and clothe himself in human flesh. Now, I don't know that we fully comprehend that, but if you want to talk about humility, humbling yourself, think about being the creator and king of the universe and then putting yourself into that creation as a creation. That is humility. Imagine if you were to become an ant so that you could get a message to some ants. Imagine you were to become something smaller and less visible, um, some kind of bacteria, so that you could communicate with bacteria. Yes, I know it's crazy, and, and no, I'm not high, okay? I'm just trying to make an illustration. So if you would do that, that would be radical humility, and that's what Jesus did. That's the kind of humility that he took upon himself. And so... James, the half-brother of Jesus here, is looking at the church. He's, he's pastoring these people. He's shepherding them. He's looking at what's going on in the church, and he's saying, this completely does not fit what Jesus and the rest of scriptures have commanded and demonstrated for us. Where is the humility? Where is the put someone in front of me instead of let me get in front of them? We see it. When we have lunch, who wants to be first? Probably depends on what we're having for lunch that day. We see it um, when we give out pizza sometimes um, on Wednesday. We see it if I've got a bag of candy, right? Now I'm just talking about kids, but let's talk about adults, okay? Uh, it's the same thing with adults. Um, we're in the Christmas season, and um, in the worldly sense, the Christmas season is just about what, pretty much? Yeah. Retail, right? 
I mean, it's the biggest retail season, right? So pretty much every year, right, around Black Friday, Thanksgiving week, there's some story of somebody getting trampled in some store or Walmart, right? Over what? A TV, a doll, or a toy. Why, why does that happen? Why is somebody so intent on capturing that toy, that doll, that TV, whatever it is, that they would literally trample someone else? Cooper? A desire? Yes, it's a desire that's out of control. And see, here's the deal. We all know at some level what desires out of control are. You know? It's when you can't put the spoon down in the ice cream. Right? You're not even eating out of the bowl anymore. You're eating out of the bucket. Right? Yeah, that, that's out of, out of control desire, right? Now, <coughs> we know what that's like. All right? It's those Skittles or the M&M or it's whatever it is for you, you know? You just, you know, you just keep eating them, keep eating them, right? You got to put the lid on it, right? So <coughs> I like to munch, right? So sometimes Melissa just tells me, put the lid on it, right? Why? Because otherwise I just keep eating. If I'm driving, I don't like to drive long distance at all. But if I am driving, um, I get bored. So I got to listen to something. If music doesn't do it for me, I got to have my mind active. And the other thing that I do um, is I usually bring bags and bags of snacks because I just like to eat the whole way, <laughs> like, which could be pretty not good for you, right? So take that. All right, that might be a small thing. All right? Maybe that only happens occasionally for you, right? With the ice cream or the M&Ms or the Skittles or whatever it is. Um, but transfer that to other aspects of your life because that's what James is trying to get at here. He, he's really not talking about the, the ice cream, right? He's really talking about how you relate with each other. He's talking about what happens when you get together on a gathering, a Sunday gathering like this. He's talking about what happens during the week when you see each other. How are you treating each other? That's what he's talking about. Is your mouth getting you into trouble like we talked about last week? Are your actions getting you into trouble? Where is it at? What are you demonstrating? In James chapter 3, verse 17, he continues on. He says, the wisdom from above is first pure, and then it's peace-loving. It's gentle. It's compliant. It's full of mercy and good fruits without favoritism and hypocrisy. So, again, we got that word but, so we got another contrast. So, in, instead of this evil wisdom, this earthly wisdom, uh, we now have this wisdom from above again. This is the one that we're supposed to be practicing. This is the one we're supposed to be living out. Are, are we actually people that have these characteristics in our lives? The idea here of purity. Purity is, is a heavy Old Testament term. Because any time someone committed a sin, they, they became what? Unclean or impure. And there was a whole system we read about in the book of Leviticus that had this process to remove that defilement, to make them pure again. Who can see God? Who can ascend that mountain? Only those who have pure hands and clean hearts. Remember when Jesus wanted to wash the feet of the disciples? He gets to Peter, and Peter's like, oh, no. And Jesus is like, oh, yes. And Peter's like, oh, then all of me. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, you don't understand. You don't need to wash all of you. You just need me to wash your feet. See, this is a metaphorical lesson here. See, if you're a believer, see, you, you've been saved. You've been dwelt with the Holy Spirit. But you walk around in this world and your feet get dirty. Now, that was a literal truth for them. They wore sandals and there was dust, dusty, dirty roads. 
But the hands is the same thing. Your hands get dirty. I don't mean you need to go wash with Dove or Palm Olive and some water. I mean you need them washed by God because you've done some things that you shouldn't have done. You've interacted with some people in ways that you shouldn't have. That's what James is talking about. So the first thing is it's, it's pure. It's undefiled. It's unspotted. It's, it's pure and it's holy. How, how do we interact with, with people? The family of God. Now, the remaining seven virtues that he has listed here, you can't tell this in the English. But in the Greek, it's fully alliterated. So it's not just modern preachers that alliterate. Uh, James has the whole next seven virtues alliterated. And he does this, I think, for a reason. He's emphasizing the contrast between the previous group of vices and these virtues. And he's basically (coughs) highlighting, he's bolding, he's yelling, he's shouting it out. He's saying, this is what it's supposed to look like. These things here are what are supposed to be in your life. Not those other things. It would probably be enough for us if we just took these things down and spent an entire day. If we just meditated one day all week on each of them about whether or not they're in your life and how God can help you get those in your life. To be peace-loving. We know what peace is. We think we do. The absence of fighting and warring, right? But it's more than that with Jesus. It's shalom. It's wholeness. So maybe you're not fighting and warring with somebody, but is there shalom? Is there wholeness with you and them? Do you have wholeness? The idea of shalom or wholeness or, or peace in the Bible is that everything is in the place it's supposed to be. It's the way God made and intended it to be. When Jesus comes back, that's what he's going to do. He's going to put everything in its proper place. Considerate or gentle in our translation is usually associated with justice, especially with the administration of justice, and suggests someone who does not abuse a position of power but remains calm and sober and true to the highest ideals of such a position. Everybody has some level of authority and position and power. Do you use that to calmly administer peaceable justice? Or do you use that, even if it's a little bit of power? Students, you have power. Maybe you're bigger than another student. Maybe you're in an older grade. How do you use that? Do you use that power to help impact them for good, or do you use that to your own advantage? If you're using that for your own advantage, then what is James saying? Is that wisdom from above or wisdom from below? It's from below. He says, being submissive and compliant. This is trusting and easily persuaded. It does not indicate a person that doesn't have convictions or is easily swayed. Rather, it conjures up the image of a sober-thinking, intuitive person who recognizes the truth when heard and willingly receives such instruction. Do you come to the word of God willing to let God move you? Are you pliable with God's word or are you resistant? Do you let God shape you? Do you let God mold you or do you resist it? I'll tell you this. You're being molded and shaped by somebody's wisdom. If it's not the wisdom from above, then it's the wisdom from below. Because it's the only two types of wisdom there are. James then mentions the idea of full of mercy and good fruits. 
Earlier, he has told us that true religion is evidenced by acts and kindness in 127, and the faith is seen in deeds of love in 215 through 18. And so these are things that wisdom from above is going to flesh out in your life. Those will be evidenced in your life. And then he offers the idea of impartial and, and sincere without favoritism, without hypocrisy that we talked about. We had an entire sermon on that idea. And so don't be double-minded. God is not partial. God has a standard that everybody has to abide by. There's, there's no separate way of salvation for somebody else. It's all through the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid for the sins of all. As we mentioned earlier, Romans 3, all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the same for everybody. James continues in chapter 3, verse 18. He says, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So are you a peace cultivator? Is that, is that what you're sowing and growing? Peace? Or is it discord and bitterness between people? Now remember, this is the second half of chapter 3. In the first half of chapter 3, we talked about your tongue and whether or not you set things on fire with your tongue. So these are connected ideas. You talk a lot. We talked about this last week. What are you doing with your tongue and then with the rest of your life? Are you setting things on fire or are you building bridges of peace? That's what James is asking. Which is it that you're doing? Think about your week this past week. Think about how your week's going to go in the, the coming week. Now, you don't know everybody that's going to come into your life, but how you respond. You know, <clears throat> when, when I'm calm inside and at peace and not frustrated, when things happen that um, are not the way they're supposed to be or that are unexpected, I respond in a more calm manner. But when I am uptight inside, frustrated, on a deadline, in a time crunch, and unexpected things happen, how do you think I respond? Yes. Lacking most of the time, probably, in wisdom from above. And so... That's why it's so important that we are at peace with God inside. The, the first step, we'll see at the very end here of chapter 4, is that we got to be right with God. But what kind of evidence do you have in your life? Do you have the fruit of righteousness sown in peace and cultivating peace? The key ingredients that Paul has been talking about here, I'm sorry, James has been talking about, are the things that should be flowing out of your life, you know? If you looked at a box of stereo, you say, what are the ingredients in here? Well, what's the ingredients that pure wisdom looks like? Peace and gentleness, obedience, mercy, and sincerity. This is the pure wisdom diet. This is what should be going on in your life. It's not just knowledge. It's how you live your life. Are you practicing wisdom to practice? What does that mean? To do it. To act on it. You do it once? No, that's really not practice, right? Okay, you do it, and you do it, and you do it. So is this what's going on in your life? How, how, how can you improve this? Well, James has contrasted these two ideas, and now he's going to dig deep into the idea of the roots of demonic wisdom. And so when you look at the roots of demonic wisdom, we get to chapter 4. Now, the end of 3 that I just talked about, okay, <clears throat> and chapter 4, they fit together 
as to like parts A and part B of the center section of the book of James. And he's going to drill deep here on this aspect of the, the roots and the results and the response of demonic wisdom. Because he doesn't want this in your life. I don't want this in your life. I don't want this in my life. The roots of demonic wisdom. Look at James 4 with me, verse 1 through 3. He says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? And so already, the cravings, that, that should remind you back to those desires that we've talked about. The desires that can lead us to temptations. Those temptations that, if they're not checked and controlled, lead, uh, lead us to setting whole things on fire with the sparks that fly out of our mouth. That's what's going on here. Okay? These cravings that are at war within us. You desire and you don't have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own evil desires. And so here, this is one of the cool things about the scriptures is that sometimes people read the Bible and they only read a verse or a paragraph or maybe they read the whole thing and they're just like, this is a jumbled mess. In fact, many of the scholars from years gone by looked at the book of James and they're like, this makes no sense. It's just this jumbled mess. There's, there's phrases here and phrases here and there's no connection. But it's actually very much connected. It's a very cohesive letter that he wrote. All these ideas, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, these should remind you of the previous sermons that we have gone through. Wrong motives so that you can spend it on your evil desires. Now, is God going to want you to support and fulfill the evil desires that you have? Well, no, he's not. Because that is in direct opposition of what he's trying to do. He is trying to grow you to become like Christ. Christ doesn't have evil desires. So if you don't keep those in check from chapter 1, it's going to lead to this ungodly mess. And now James is saying, so then you pray and you don't get what you want. Well, the reason you don't get what you want is because what you want is in opposition to God. Because what you want is simply so that you can keep it upon yourself. look at the, the culture, you look at the world, you look at the wisdom of the world, you look at how people live their life in this Christmas season, how are you going to live your life in this Christmas season? I read an uh, article this past week. It was um, kind of a recap of an interaction that took place between a, a Methodist pastor and a Jewish rabbi. And, and part of that <coughs> article conversation went kind of like this. The, the Methodist pastor had said to the, the Jewish rabbi, he said, well, do you celebrate any aspect of, of Christmas, like even the secular aspect? And the Jewish rabbi said, no, no. And the Methodist pastor said, uh, well, so you, you don't even give any gifts to your kids whatsoever. Don't they feel left out? And here's what the Jewish rabbi said. He said, no, they don't feel left out. They feel different and separate because we are a separate people that live differently from the rest of the world. Man, that right there is where Jesus 
called us to. But we are so consumed with following the wisdom of this world, which is from below, that we can't keep our eyes straight and focused on Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you can't get a gift. We've already bought a bunch. But I'm saying, I think in general, we are so afraid to be separate and different. And that right there is a massive red flag at the heart of our belief system. Because if we're afraid to be separate distinct and different, what in the world do you think we signed on for? The entirety of Christianity is about being different and distinct. And how that looks in each culture might be a little bit different, but the whole thing is countercultural. This idea that we started out with, the idea of uh, meekness and mildness and gentleness, that was not a virtue in the Roman culture. So when you read in the scriptures and you read about Jesus, in the first century, they are lifting up the idea that you should be humble and meek. That was counter-cultural. Because just like in today's society, where people say, generally in the world, if you want to be successful, you want to get ahead, then you do what you got to do. Well, that's kind of how it was in the Roman culture also. You don't demonstrate humility. You don't lower yourself. You need to put yourself out there and put yourself above others. You hear Jesus is saying and James is saying? That's not how it goes. How does Jesus end up on a cross? Jesus ends up on a cross because he's not willing to follow the ways of the world. Jesus ends up on a cross, <coughs> and by human wisdom, it looks cool. But by heavenly wisdom is the plan to save the world. We're too afraid of how we look to everybody else. And we're too afraid to stand out. Look at the Jewish culture. Look at the Islamic culture. They are willing to stand out and be different, to be countercultural. We say we have the truth but we're afraid. We succumb to the pressure of the wisdom from below, and we get muzzled. And that's exactly what the devil wants, for us to be muzzled. The roots of demonic wisdom, the source of them in our own lives, comes from these unchecked desires. The ultimate source of conflict James poses a rhetorical question about the source of conflict in our lives. How do you respond to these situations? We might first think of external causes that allow us to avoid taking responsibility, but James directs us to look inside to the role played by our own desire, envy, and motives. Why do we have conflict with each other? Because of our desires, our own motives. So how do you fix it? What's the ultimate source? It can be tempting to blame our conflict solely on others without considering the role of our passions and desires play. But James says that our conflicts with others or with God have the origins inside us, our desires and our passions. The reason why 
some people can follow Jesus so closely and others struggle so much in following Jesus so closely. It goes back to the first chapter of James and the double-mindedness. Because here's what a lot of people are trying to do. They're trying to have one foot in the world James says, from the first chapter on, the same thing that Jesus says. The same thing that Joshua says in the book of Joshua. Choose ye this day whom you're going to serve. If you want to serve the world and follow the world, then make the decision and do it. I don't know if you realize it or not, but God actually says that in, in the scriptures. Like It's recorded. It's inspired. If that's what you want to do and you don't want to follow Jesus, then don't. Don't be two-faced about it. Don't be a hypocrite about it. Make your decision. <coughs> John Corson says, James is not interested in how great we talk. He's interested in how straight we walk. <coughs> That's the call. It's not about how great you talk. It's not about the words out of your mouth. Oh, he said such great things. No, no. Does, does his walk match his talk? Because actions speak louder than words. That's what he's saying. You can't say you love people when you don't do anything for them. Yeah, I love people. When's the last time you helped somebody? Oh, I don't know, but, you know, I love people. Oh, you see that, that guy in the street corner the other day? He's, he's asking for help. Oh, yeah, I pass him every day. Yep. You ever talk to him? No. I thought you said you loved people. I'm not telling you to give all your money to somebody on the street either. I'm just saying. Like, where, where's the action? Put your money where your mouth is. Do something. What you do might not be the same thing I do, but do something that lines up with what Jesus says to do. The result of demonic wisdom. What are the results of it? Well, they're not going to be good, that's for sure, right? James continues on in chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, and he says, You adulteresses. Yeah, that's what you want to be called, right? <coughs> who, who wants to be called an adulteress? No takers? Okay, that's what James says, right? If you follow the, the wisdom from below, he says you're an adulteress. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously but he gives greater grace therefore he says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble now in this passage James unpacks a couple of things that are, are a little bit tricky for us to understand maybe like that phrase where he says the spirit lives in us yearns jealously Okay, here's what you need to understand about God's relationship with you once you become a child of God he's your daddy alright now I haven't had a daughter but, you know, I've talked with people that do, and I've read enough, and I can imagine, and I've lived in the world enough to know how um, guys uh, often act. And so the old saying about, you know, once you have a daughter, you buy a shotgun, um, I understand where that would come from and why they would say that, all right? So here's what you need to understand. When it says that the spirit yearns jealously, or when it says in the Bible that God is a jealous God, okay, here's what this means. 
If you're a dad and your teenage daughter starts talking incessantly about some guy that she thinks she's in love with, and then some guy rolls up out front and you know, I don't, I don't want to paint a picture or pigeonhole, you know, certain groups of people or anything, but if you can think of everything that you don't think should be going on, and that's what's there, um, what is your response going to be as a dad? <coughs> uh, are you just going to let him go, Coop? Uh-uh, you're going to say, go to your room, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. So we aren't going to be too thrilled about that, right? You're going to be a little jealous. Why? Because you know that where that guy is going to take this girl is not a good place. And as her dad, you jealously love. That means you protectively love. That means you don't want somebody else getting into her life that's going to mess her up and take her down the wrong path. That's what God is saying. That's what the Spirit, that's what Jesus is about. He is jealous for you. He is not content that, oh, yeah, you prayed a prayer one day and you got saved and became part of his family. That's great. Welcome to the family. Okay? Let's have a party. But that's not it. That's the beginning. Now that that happened, you suddenly have a father who jealously loves you. And so when he sees someone or something get into your life, that is going to sidetrack you, he's going to get involved. He's not just going to sit back. He's going to get involved and do something about it. And that's what James is talking about. And so what are the results? The results of this wisdom from below, this demon wisdom, are disastrous. But God's goal is to make you like Christ. God's goal is to bring shalom and peace. Are there such a thing as frenemies? Can you be a frenemy? You know what that is? What's a friend of me? A friend and an enemy. Gary, can you be that? No, why not? <coughs> you can't try to kill somebody and be their friend at the same time. There you go, right? Take the extreme, right? Okay, an enemy tries to kill, right? And a friend is obviously not. So how can you be both? You can't. So why are we trying to friend of me, God? You can't do it. It's the whole double agent thing. It doesn't work. God gives us enough grace to follow through with what he asks us to do. As James has been focusing on the root causes of conflicts and quarrels and the negative consequences they have in our relationship with God, in verse 7 here, he begins to transition to the positive steps we can take. Because you can't be a friend of me of God. You're either a friend or an enemy. There's, if there was two like subtopics that you wanted to, to put down that we're dealing with here, the first one you should have gotten by now is wisdom from above or below, wisdom from God or the world. I mean, that, that's your primary one. This other one has to do with whether or not you're a friend of God or a friend of the world or a friend of the devil, however you want to phrase it. And whatever wisdom you're following, well, that's, that's the path you're on to, to friendship. We sang the song, Friend of God, today on purpose. Abraham was known as a friend of God. The phrase is not in the Bible very frequently, but Abraham was known as a friend of God. Why? Because Abraham was faithful. 
to the point that he was willing to even sacrifice his son. Unheard of. Sounds barbaric. Sounds crazy. But God's grace was enough. What did God do at the last minute? Yes. In his grace, he said, stop. And Abraham sacrificed the ram instead. That's the grace. When James says the grace of God will be there for you, he will provide that for you. Paul talks similarly. His grace abounds much, much more, right? So when we look at this, we, we begin to wrap this up. And we want to know, so then what's the response? What's the response to demonic wisdom? In James 4, verses 7 to 10, he lays that out for us. He says, therefore, here's what you do. Here's the response. So you realize, yes, I've been following some wrong wisdom. I've been going down the wrong path. I'm not on the wisdom of God. He says, submit to God. Okay, This is not written to unbelievers, guys. It's written to the church. The church. Yeah, the church needs to repent. He says, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. He's writing to who? Believers. Believers. He calls them sinners. He says double-minded. He says repent. Repentance is not a one-time thing the day you got saved. Repentance is every time that we blow it, we got to get back right with God. doesn't mean he threw you out of the family. We're just cleaning up our relationship with him. Submit to God. These are the steps. Okay? I don't want to give you a one, two, three, but James actually gives us a little bit of a one, two, three. Okay? Submit to God. That's how James started out in chapter one. James, a bondservant or slave. Submit. If you haven't submitted and surrounded your life, then that's the first step for you to do. That's what you got to do. Satan is an active opponent of God. He lies, he deceives, and he helps you lie and deceive. And when you lie and deceive, whose wisdom are you following? The devil. That's right. And so what that means is this. You're magnifying and expanding the kingdom of the devil. Now, is that really what you want to do? Or do you want to magnify and expand the kingdom of God? <clears throat> if we constantly, consciously resist and submission to God, the devil will flee. He says, draw near to God. Why? Because God is your protection. He is your defender, as we sang this morning. This is about intimacy. How close are you with God? Do you spend time with him? If you don't spend time with him, you're not close. A friend of mine that I've known for 20-plus years, John Marks, who was the best man at my wedding, was in town this past week. <clears throat> and so we met up after Wednesday night Bible study for a couple hours. And when I meet up with John Marks, um, it's kind of like we pick up where we left off last time. You know, there's, there's the how are the kids, how are they doing now, you know. Um, you know, he's got one about ready to graduate high school, another one's a junior, he's got a couple more. Um, but there's this, this relationship. We spent so much time together. But there's also this gap. We don't see each other every day. Okay, so there's this catching up to do. Okay, maybe you got some catching up to do with God. Well, don't put it off another day. That just means more catching up. Get on it. How do you know what God wants you to do? You don't unless you spend time with him. How do you know what the boss wants you to do? You don't unless you read the note he left or go see him in his office and ask him what he wants. Right? you got to spend time with Jesus to know. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. You want intimacy? Then go to him. Well, I'll wait for him to come to me. He's already come to you. If you're in this room, he's speaking to you right now through the word. 
near to him. Sin causes uncleanness. So he says, wash your hands. We've already talked about that. Okay, We get dirty in life. Allow God to cleanse you, cleanse you. Okay, Sins are deeds that are committed through the body. Romans 6, verse 13. You have these sins that you commit through the body. The body becomes defiled. It needs to be purified. Jesus is the one who forgives and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. So then he says, purify your heart. How? By drawing upon pure heavenly wisdom. Attack that which pollutes the heart. And that will stop dividing your mind. Romans uh, chapter 12 talks about renewing your mind. Verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> I said this in the beginning. I'll, I'll say it right now again. Whatever controls your mind has got you. Whatever controls your mind. So if the world controls your mind, if that's what your mind is filled with, that's what has got you. <clears throat> they say you should watch what you do before you go to bed. I like action stuff. I used to um, want to be a cop before God redirected everything. I was going to school for law enforcement, etc. Most of you know all this. So I like cop movies, etc. So, But if I watch them right before I go to bed, you know what I dream about? Yeah, I, I dream about all that stuff that was in the movie, right? And so all night long, my mind is racing, you know? So I'm doing all this, like, investigative work, especially if it's these series, you know, where, like, they leave you hanging every week and you don't know what's going to happen again, so you're trying to figure out all this stuff. Yeah. So what is it that's on your mind? What is it that you think about at night? What is it that you are consumed with? And then he says this. He says greed. All right? Now let me focus on this for just a minute here because I don't know that we do this enough. He says greed. Why would you greed? Over your sin. Over the fact that you follow demonic wisdom. Mourn. Greed. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Why? They're the ones that are going to be in the kingdom of God because they recognize their sin and they mourn over it. And God is going to be willing to forgive that because they recognize it and they mourn over it and they're repentant about it. Mourn over your sin. What's going on in James? He's saying, you guys are laughing about stuff that you should be crying about. Turn your laughing into mourning. Because you don't realize that you're following the wisdom from below. Your whole life, God wants you. Your whole life. And so in James, just a little bit of a summary of the demonic in James. You have demonic faith in, in chapter 2. You have the demonic tongue in chapter 3, verse 6. You have demonic wisdom in 3, 14, and 15. And you even have demonic joy in 4, 9. Demonic joy, yeah. You're joyous when you should be mourning. You're laughing at stuff that should make you sad. Is there a time for joy? Sure there is, of course. Joy comes from God, from the Holy Spirit. But yeah, there's a demonic joy. What, what's that? Well, just think of the Joker and Batman. Okay? There's stuff you shouldn't be laughing at. You don't blow people up and laugh. That's demonic joy. Okay? So, we got to get our minds refocused on true wisdom. The response. <clears throat> the response. God's hand is ready. Acts says he is not far from any of us. we got to respond. I want to end this <clears throat> with a, a parallel passage 
from another book of wisdom in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, the wisest man. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9 through 14, it says, now as I read this, I want you to think, this is actually very amazing, I want you to think about all the words and phrases that are in this verse that are in James. In addition to the teacher, that we've already been talking about teachers, right, and their tongues the last two weeks, being a wise man, the whole book of James, right, he constantly taught the people knowledge, he weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like goads, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd. But beyond these, my son, be warned. There is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. When all has been heard, here you go, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all of humanity. Okay, that's Proverbs 1-7 in a nutshell, right? Where's the beginning of wisdom start? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Ecclesiastes, Solomon, has looked through all of these things, and he says, I've searched it all, I've tried it all. And then he concludes with this. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. And as we looked at last week, judgment is aimed all through James. Why does any of this matter? Because Jesus is coming back. And the judge is going to judge you and I. We have to give account for our words and our lives. So when you look at this, Ecclesiastes, James, Proverbs 1-7, the meekness of, of Moses, of Jesus, you see the whole thread of Scripture is about laying before you two ways. We follow the ways of God, we follow the ways of the world. From above or from below. Which one is it going to be? It shows in your life. It's not just an intellectual decision that you make in your mind. And so the challenge today is that you would practice wisdom from above. <coughs> a couple weeks ago, I preached a sermon that was pursue wisdom from above. This is practice the wisdom from above. Yes, you need to pursue it, but then you need to live it out. You need to Whether you're not a believer yet, a new believer, been for a little bit, been for a long time, wherever you are in your journey, James is saying there's these two ways of life before you. You're already living one of these ways of wisdom. You're either following the ways of God or you're following the ways of the world, which James likens to from below and demonic. So I want you to consider and contemplate where you're at this morning. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. When I'm done, then we'll spend a few minutes at what we call table talk. You have the opportunity to just share some of the things you've learned and discuss with each other um, how you could encourage one another. The book of Hebrews says that you should meet, and it says, don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves, okay? Or instead, you should meet together regularly. And one of the reasons it says is so that you can encourage each other, to spur each other on to do good works. So use this time not to just chit-chat, okay? You can do that over lunch. Use this time to spur one another on to good works, to ways of wisdom. Let me pray for you.
Father, as we come to you this morning, James has, has cut to the heart. We have two ways before us. The ways of the world and the ways of, of you, Lord Jesus. The ways of wisdom from above. Father, we, we must repent this morning. Every one of us, Christian and not alike, of, of areas of our life where we have not followed your wisdom. Where we have not been gentle and mild and meek, but instead we have been quick with our words. Where maybe we've had bitterness and envy crop up. I know in my own life, Lord, there's been situations this past year that I've had to constantly remind myself of. That I need to trust you. To let you handle the outcome and what you're going to do with it. And not respond in the spirit of bitterness. Father, I pray this morning that if there's anyone that is not sure where they stand with you, that they would realize that you are not far away and you're standing with your hands stretched out. That if they would just surrender themselves, humble themselves, as, as James says, believing in, in full truth and confidence that Jesus not only exists, but he came to die on the cross and paid for their sins and ours, Lord. And if they would cry out to you and pray something like, Dear God, forgive me for my sins. I realize I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe he, he rose again from the dead three days later. Come into my life through my Lord, through my Savior. I want to be part of your family. I, I want to walk in your ways of wisdom. Save me today and show me how to live this way. If you pray that prayer, you mean that with all your heart. A transformation just took place in you, and the Spirit of God came in and just cleaned you from the inside. He's given you the ability through the Spirit, the power to begin to live a new life. <coughs> Maybe you're here this morning, and you're already a believer, and you just need to clean up a few things with God. Take a minute and do that. And for all of us, we always need to reevaluate because for each of us, the ways of the world creep in, which is why we must take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and to cast out what does not belong. So God, I pray that you would show each of us where we've been deceived by our own desires, where we've been deceived by our own thinking, where we've been deceived by something from outside that has maybe come in. In Jesus' name, amen. As we move into